0: Welcome once again to Cinemaholics, where we talk about the biggest and best films coming to theaters and streaming online. From the San Francisco Bay Area, I'm John Negroni, chief editor for Cinemaholics. I'm also a film critic for Awards Watch, The Spool, and The Young Folks. From Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, he is a pop culture writer for Cinema Blend. It's Will Ashton. Howdy ho. You can find more episodes of Cinemaholics, including our full archive and written reviews and other bonus content, all on cinemaholics.com. That's also where you'll find our merch page. That's where you can find Cinemaholics hoodies, mugs, t-shirts, shot glasses, whatever you like. And if you'd like to hit us up, our email, as always, is cinemaholicspodcasts at gmail.com. Would love to hear from you and definitely if you're a fan of the show please take a look at our patreon patreoncom cinemaholic. shout out to everybody who supports the show financially we appreciate you more than you know this week on the show we have a lot of movies to get to so i don't think we really have anything for off topics we're going to just jump right into our main review of the week starting with luca <laughs> Wow. Luca, Ah! that was hard to watch. You, uh, coming? We do not go
1: anywhere near the surface. Got it? Everything good is above the surface. Walking, air, (gasps) the sky, clouds, the sun. Whoa, don't look at it. Just kidding, definitely look at it. Have you ever gone to the human town? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I'm kind of an expert. Ciao! <ronics recognise> Ciao! Hey, little
0: help! Hi-
1: Someone got lucky today, hm?
0: Hey, leave them alone! Hop on. Go start a club! For losers! Oh. My name is Giulia Marcavaldo. We underdogs have to look out for each other. What's under the dogs?
1: (laughs) This is my dad. What do you think he kills with those? Anything that swims.
0: Ah. Ah. (laughs) Your life is so much cooler than mine. There's a million things you think you can't do. All you need is a chance to try. Luca is the latest film from Pixar Animation Studios. I forget what number it is at this point, 23, 24, something like that. And I should know, right? Because I literally have a whole chapter in the book about all the Pixar movies. Sure. Uh, I I am uh, slacking there. But no, this is their latest. And it hasn't been that long since the last Pixar movie, Soul. And you know, Will, I was just listening to our conversation about Soul. Just to kind of check in again to see where we're at with that movie. How has Soul aged for you over the last like six months?
1: I still like it a lot. Um, I, I know that the conversation around it has been weird, so I kind of want to revisit later. Like at, like now that we're going away from the awards conversation of it, just, just valuing the movie on its own terms. But I remember liking it a lot and feeling like it was a pretty strong effort at a time when Pixar was starting to kind of waver a little bit. But um, yeah, I don't know. I still like it a lot, but I've only seen it the one time.
0: Sure thing. Yeah, I've seen it twice now, and I plan to see it again because I am working on some stuff for that are, that's related to Pixar as usual. But Luca is from a director we've seen with plenty of film Pixar films before, but not as the director. He directed the short film La Luna. He was also a story artist for a few Pixar films, like I believe Coco and Ratatouille. Uh, but this is his feature length directorial debut and he's working with screenwriters jesse andrews and mike jones might recognize a name or two from there from me and earl and the dying girl and so this film it stars the voices of jacob tremblay jack dylan grazer emma Berman, maya rudolph jim gaffigan and a few favorites like uh, i believe john ratzenberger i think he has his typical cameo and then does he we also have peter Sohn. i believe so i i've I have to rewatch the film to really find it, but I assume he's the good luck charm. He's not in every single Pixar film, but he's in even if he's not credited, he shows up.
1: Yeah, I feel like I, I thought it was in everyone, including Soul. Initially, I thought he was absent from Soul, but I guess he is in there in an unorthodox fashion, and I couldn't really mm-hmm. place if he was in this one. Like there were a couple times where I was just like, "Is that is that John Ratzenberger?" But I couldn't tell for sure. So
0: right, he's usually an extra
1: yeah i mean i didn't I didn't notice all the usual fanfares in this one as much, like the like pizza truck or um where the other ones that they have i didn't I didn't so the
0: Ball time. yeah, yeah right. you know the these films tend to have like lots of Easter eggs for future. Pixar films as well. And I didn't catch anything on my first watch or second watch, but I'm sure they're in there somewhere. I mean, I th- Seoul even has a poster, I believe, of Rosso or a poster or some kind of like marketing thing for that town. So it, there's always something and it, you, I guess it's a good thing. It's like you should be more caught up in the film, <laughs> you know, not really searching for Easter eggs, at least when you're seeing these for the first time. But Luca is set in an Italian coastal town, somewhere between it, The film kind of says it's like in the 1950s, maybe the early 1960s. We're in a, a place, uh, it's based on Casarosa's childhood, a uh, place you would frequent in the summers called Genoa. And the filmmakers actually went to like the Italian Riviera to kind of do research for it. It's, it's a very specific like Italian place that has a lot of regional myths and folklore and things like that, which is where Luca kind of bases its main premise, which is that we follow these two young boys who aren't just boys, they're also sea monsters. They live at the bottom of the ocean and they venture outside of the ocean one day to visit the human town of Portoroso, which is a fictional town, but kind of a nod to the Miyazaki film, right, Porco Rosso. And they there encounter human things. And the trick to that is when they leave the water, if they don't have water on them, they just look like everyday humans. But if they get wet... They look like sea monsters, so they have to stay dry. There's a little bit of, you know, adventure there because if they are outed as sea monsters, the townspeople who are viciously anti-sea monster, they hunt them. There's like statues everywhere of like sea monsters are terrible. We got to kill them. They will, of course, put these boys in danger. So that's the main hook of Luca. Will, what did you think of this film? The latest from Pixar?
1: Uh, I liked it. Uh, yeah, I was trying to figure out exactly um, where I land on this one, because um, I know the response to the film has been a little bit more muted than your average uh, Pixar film, just because I, th- I think people now have an expectation for what Pixar is, what the brand is. And you have like this sort of uh, expectation, there'll be such a grand experience, you'll have like such a Sweeping emotional experience. Not to say that this movie isn't, but I think that this movie is playing to a kind of like smaller. Uh Like It's totally trying to do something that's a little bit more subdued in comparison to some of the other recent Pixar films. It's it's going for something, like you said, it's a little bit more personal. It's a little bit more soul-searching. It does follow somewhat a similar template to some other family films. But it does feel like it borrows more from classic Italian films, even down to the characters themselves. Often uh, being named after famous either Italian films or Italian (laughs) filmmakers. Which I think for film fans will obviously be a lot of fun. Um, it doesn't, I think, add or take away from the film if you don't catch them. But um, in any case, yeah, I mean, I think when I started the film, I was under the expectation that it was just going to be kind of a, like a small, sweet story. But I, I found it to be unexpectedly kind of moving in that it is like a tale about like immigration or like coming to terms with like your own sense of self Well, not like escaping your own identity, but like kind of like finding your own path forward, which isn't a story that's it's a story that's been done elsewhere, obviously. But I think that because it is such a personal film, it does show that Pixar is willing to kind of venture out and do something that even like stylistically just feels a little bit different. I really love the design of the humans and the way that the Italian town looks. There's almost like a um, Ardman stop-motion animation yeah. look to them that I really appreciate. It's like a like... mix
0: almost of like claymation yeah. and, yeah.
1: Which I, I don't know. I really appreciate that because I, I feel like it does show that that, that um, Pixar is, is coming... Uh, still remaining i guess like uh playful in like their design and how they they like want their films to look and it does show like kind of similar to in Soul, when they were playing in the like the um a little bit more like abstract with their visuals and kind of showing this progression where like they are still they have a set story like type where they they tell a certain story in a certain way, but I do see signs of them growing and developing in interesting ways and i I can agree that this one I think it's for me, closer into like the B range as opposed to the A range. But I, I did like it a good bit. I think a little bit more than I might have expected going in.
0: This has been an interesting film against, yeah, what the, the critics are kind of saying about it and the sort of narrative it is affecting in terms of like the, the Pixar narrative of a lot of people talking right now about the golden age of Pixar and kind of reflecting on, yeah, it's it's been a while since Toy Story 3 kind of capped off that terrific run for them where they had all these original films and some of the, you know, more recent Pixar films, there've been a lot of really good ones uh, and I've been really into basically all of their original films with maybe the exception of Brave. I, I really like Good Dinosaur and Onward, much to some people's chagrin. I think people kind of were saying the same things about Onward that they're saying about this movie. And I I think with me, I kind of, there's one, one thing that really struck me about this movie was we don't spend a lot of time in the water, right? And you don't really have that soul world building for like the sea monsters themselves. And it's kind of a, uh, it's kind of obvious that they really put most of their attention into Porta Rosa, really like making it come alive, really like putting like details and ideas into that setting and how it all comes together. But through it all, unlike Soul or Inside Out or Coco, where you have these sort of like hidden worlds, this is a movie that's kind of doing the inverse of that, where we don't spend a lot of time in the hidden world of sea monsters, but instead are experiencing our own world through the eyes of somebody who is kind of entering it for the first time and kind of discovering themselves. And so this movie, unlike some of the other Pixar films, is less about The ideas of, you know, obsolescence, you know, there's a little bit of that with a a friend or two. And it's a movie that's not quite aiming for a lot of the existential sad sack dread that we tend to experience as adults from Pixar films, especially when we rewatch some of these films, like the Toy Story ones in particular, as older people. I think for that reason, people are looking at this and being like, yeah, you know, this is a minor key for Pixar. This is the B side of. Of a greatest hits album in a lot of ways. But I know for me, and I've, I've experienced this from other people as well, that's probably one of the things I really appreciate about it is that it's not t- trying to be that, and it's content with being something a little bit different for Pixar at least. Something a little bit simpler, a little bit more charming and sweet. And one of the main things I really like about this movie is how tight its story is. I know not everybody will agree with that. I think that some people are kind of looking at the story as a little pad, a little bit of like, okay, it's just these kids who want to you know, have a summer vacation and get a Vespa. But I think there is a lot more to it. I think that there is a very timeless allegory here about the coming out experience and the kind of taboo and what it's like to go into a place where you're not sure if people are going to accept you and then having to make certain decisions when one person is kind of, you know, shunned and and how do you deal with that? And yeah, I just found a lot of that stuff really moving and touching. But yeah, what are are some things that stuck out to you? Because it sounds like you liked a good bit of this. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm, as listeners may or may not know, I'm a big fan of of fish-out-of-water comedy in general. Um, It's a soft spot for me, and this is a literal fish-out-of-water story. So um, I found this to be one of the more funny Pixar movies. I know we're kind of talking more about the emotionality of it, but I do think just from a storytelling point of view that the... The way that the movie is able to be very playful not only with the animation but just like a lot of the sight gags here I felt were very fun and charming uh, especially as you mentioned as we go into the Italian town and we just spend more time with the locals and uh, I don't want to give anything away too exact but um, I, I do think that the movie itself it, it as you're mentioning like it, it is very nostalgic it is very revenant to like the, the films of Fellini and Miyazaki and several other Italian films as well as I think um, Stand By Me it was a, a um, um, a source of inspiration here but uh, I also just think that as we're sort of suggesting it's more celebrating life it's not as quite as melancholic as some of the other recent original Pixar movies and that it is more about the youthful experience and celebrating the joy of life and the joy of discovery and coming to terms with like realizing how big the world can be and how much you can take from it in a way that uh, you know it's very evocative of other films I, I, I know that a lot of people are making a lot of easy comparisons to other films as i am as well but uh at the same time i also just think that 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 personal element as i'm uh mentioning before is what really makes it stand out it does give it that that soul and vibrance that that makes it feel a bit more raw and tender in a way that i personally tend to really like from these pixar movies
0: Uh, i love that you use the word vibrant you know vibrant is such a acceptable term for i think this movie when it's in its real wheelhouse where I think they really want the audience to revel in the film's charms is when you're in this town, when you're watching these kids, you know, going down hills, there's like this exhilarating energy to it all, where it's really capturing that excitement of being a kid again, but also the like, constant danger that at least one of the kids will feel the other one will be a little bit more like, ah, you know, like, we can do anything, we can go anywhere. And I just really think that that writing around those characters and what they're experiencing is really really well realized. And I think what this film is probably lacking is, it's it's very short, which I like. I'm really glad it's as short as it is, but it is kind of lacking, I think, that sort of last second, last minute Pixar gut punch, uh, at least with its climax. It has its own sort of epilogue kind of gut punch that I think a lot of people will find affecting. And I think it really turns things around for me. I was definitely a little nervous about how this film was ending. I was like, oh, please give us a Monsters University moment (laughs) or something like that. We get a little bit of that, but certainly not to the same extent. And I think, yeah, overall, it's a film where people are certainly arguing a little bit about you know, is it okay for for Pixar films to be a little less ambitious with the messaging, right? There's a little bit of conversation right now around, is, it re, is this really a movie just about like be yourself? And like, you know, if some people accept you, some won't, maybe it's lacking. Like even Finding Dory has some, you know, Finding Dory, which very much is like considered a mid-tier, you know, kind of a fun Pixar aside, not one of their best. But that's a Pixar film, though, that still has like a surprising message that shows up in the last act that, you know, it was building up to it all along, but you didn't know it. I think that's the thing I really like about Onward, which I think what people don't give Onward enough credit for is that it kind of breaks a little bit of the Pixar formula that I personally have been kind of dreading where it's like you have a buddy kind of comedy. You have two characters who are at odds and they sort of have to go through an experience together. There's going to be a betrayal. There's going to be it's a very formulaic thing. It happens in soul, which is something that I didn't love about that movie and onward i think kind of pushed it a little bit you know there was something a little bit more going on with that dynamic you could tell they were trying something different and luca there's something like that too where it's it's really like these boys are so close like there isn't that sort of mismatch buddy comedy there's a more effortless friendship between the two. And to what you're saying, it's very funny and it's able to be funny without going for the easy jokes of like this character can't, hates that this character did that and that sort of situational comedy stuff, which I think would have been a little bit tired. Instead, it's like you said, the comedy comes from the fish out of water stuff and there's clever material there and yeah, I got to say I I really was charmed by this. I think this movie will certainly not be like a you know, it's not going to be number one on a lot of people's lists anytime soon, but I think people will grow fonder and fonder of it as time goes on, I hope. Uh, but th- there was one thing I do want to add, too. I know I've said a lot, but in terms of, like, who this film is aimed for, I know a lot of people have been saying this is aimed for younger, younger kids. It kind of puts the kids first, the adults sort of second. Like, adults can still appreciate this, and I certainly believe that. But what, what do you think? I've been wrestling with this. Is Do you think this is primarily for kids?
1: Well, sure. I mean, it's a, a Pixar Disney film, so i'm I, at heart, it is for children. But um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that nostalgic element is also what is supposed to make it resonant for adults. It's about celebrating youth and and you know that that point in your life when you can find someone that that understands you either as a, a friend or something a little bit more and and coming to terms with like oh like like if if someone else understands me and we can share the school with this ambition or even the stream in life even something as simple as just owning a vespa uh what else can the world outside bring me and um yeah i mean you know it's it's not like i said it's nothing wholly original or doing something extremely unique with that storytelling or that message but i do agree with you that for pixar i appreciate that it's not so much to mismatch buddy but rather just like kind of like having characters uh, find themselves, find someone or some people who can understand, appreciate them wholly as they are and just like helping the world around them will eventually understand which I think is presented in a very sweet and uh, sincere fashion and I I just think what will make this movie i think easy to revisit is that they make the world itself so alive and so easy to seep into and just be immersed in just that that wholesome italian village and i think that could easily uh, result in some good rewatches but i don't really know at this point what the the response is going to be if it will be seen ultimately as a minor key Pixar film or if it will be appreciated more for what it's doing in a somewhat more subtle fashion. But uh at least in the moment now, I I just really appreciate that Pixar is still able to make a film like this that that isn't quite as uh overactive and, and it does obviously play into their formula, but it is also experimenting in terms of style and tone in a way that uh I think showcases a studio that continues to grow.
0: Yeah. I, I just I think it's so funny too, because it's like it's being graded on the Pixar curve. You know, if this was a movie that was coming from a different studio, if it was sort of being billed as more of an indie film, I think that the same people who were gushing about Wolfwalkers, for example, would look at this film and maybe not be as harsh on it. But I think it makes sense to, to judge yeah. it because, you know, it's, it is Pixar. You can't really separate that
1: well yeah i mean like we were saying before it is that miyazaki thing where it's just it's about the characters it's about celebrating that that sense of exuberance when you're young and and kind of uh finding that kindred spirit with a mix of like the the supernatural or like something that's like very extravagant but also very simple and pat and i can understand like because we've seen that from other people including pixar that that might seem i guess slightly unoriginal but i don't know i just i i I do think stylistically it is a little bit different than what we've seen from other pixar movies in late you know these past three films uh just in terms of being like original films that uh are definitely from pixar but they also showcase uh movies that come from new filmmakers uh, for the most part i know um uh pete doctor did soul but i mean you know we see you
0: know ken power is really yeah, added lots of sure soul, you that's know? true yeah. yeah
1: but they are like they're much more personal films it seems like they, they come yeah. uh from like nostalgic backgrounds and stuff like that and, and that that makes me really excited to see what pixar is going to do next as opposed to like seven more sequels i mean not that i disliked all those sequels necessarily but this seems more exciting to me and and i i want to celebrate a movie like this coming from pixar as opposed to like uh toy story seven or something so
0: yeah (laughs) i couldn't agree more yeah it's funny i was going to mention that too where like you know dan scanlon had a very personal story attached to onward you know and it was it was really about like his experience with his father and finding like a remnant of his dad and you know he wanted to liken that to like magic and then with this movie as we mentioned you know Casarosa is kind of like looking back at his childhood and you know you can even look at Toy Story 4 which you know we haven't really talked about the Lasseter of it all but that was kind of the last film that came from the sort of like John Lasseter days like really under his overseeing before he rightfully was pushed out of Pixar he resigned of course and is now with Skydance but you know Toy Story 4 was originally like Rashida Jones as well they were kind of turning it into a romantic comedy and then Lasseter kind of based it around the relationship between him and his wife Nancy and so I mean that's uh, unfortunate for for reasons outside of the movie's control but it, it, it does feel like a different you know vein of Pixar films compared to I think they had a run where they really were they just had all these like original ideas that weren't quite as personal but they put personal stuff into it and now we're kind of getting these ones that are coming from different kinds of filmmakers I'm really excited for Domi Shi to have her film turning red, I believe is going to be next year, and that's going to be something that's going to be her follow up to Bow, the short film for Incredibles two, and I'm very excited about that sort of direction, those kinds of originals coming from Pixar coming up. I, I know they their next kind of sequel spin off sort of thing is Lightyear, which we'll see about that. And <laughs> but before we, I don't want to forget this too, and you know, because we we sort of mentioned the sort of like the friendship between the boys and and how there was like. A little bit of like the film's message being, you know, I just want to be accepted for who I am and all of that. And I think what maybe the the little more creative wrinkle into that element of it, I think what sort of saves saves it from being a little bit of a generic message is I do think there's a really strong current here, no pun intended, for what it's like to outgrow a friend and how that can be really devastating. That that was something that I wasn't expecting, and especially on the second watch, it just really hits you because. I think a lot of us can relate to not just the positive memories of those times, but what it was like to realize that as you're making other friends and as you are sort of like exploring more of the world, you kind of feel like you're leaving a friend behind. And this film has a little bit of therapy for that sort of dynamic. And I really appreciated that for sure. And I also want to mention, you know, we've, we've been tossing around a lot of films that this is getting compared to, I don't love the comparison to call me by your name. I, I know a lot of people are kind of, you know, making the jokes that it's it's a lot like that. And, you know, because that, of course, is more it's an adult and it's, it's an explicit romance between a young teenager and uh, an adult man. So it, it's the kind of thing where I get it. But I, I just I hope people don't take those Comparisons too seriously because I think it's kind of like comparing Book of Life to Coco. It's like just because two films center around a holiday, they're not the same film. It, it's a little bit, I think, ridiculous. I think it's a little bit closer to compare this to something like I believe the beginning of this film very much is taking a lot of inspiration from The Little Mermaid, you know, and and purposely. I think that it's intentionally, as we've mentioned again and again, trying to capture a more fairy tale sensibility from a Miyazaki Studio Ghibli film and. I think that a lot of people could look at that. I think a lot of people could say, yeah, you know, obviously Casarosa is paying homage to Fellini. He's paying homage to these filmmakers. But I think the question is, I want to ask you, do you think that it's a superficial homage? Do you think that it, it actually really enhances the film or do you feel like it's just sort of like a marketing thing where it's like, oh, yeah, well, you know, this is like Fellini meets Miyazaki? Or do you think there's something a little deeper there?
1: Um, ultimately, I think, like I said, the the fact that it is able to be uh, a film that, that does come from the filmmaker's background, it does have a personal resonance, too, as opposed to just superficially uh, including these influences in a way that's like just meant to be solely evocative. Um, I didn't really mind that as much. I mean, obviously, as I mentioned, in addition to... Uh, Fellini and Miyazaki. I think it's like rev, uh, um, Revenant to films like uh, Stromboli and uh, La Terre Tremblay or something like that, and and like like um, Italian films from like the 50s and 60s, I guess, like that that sort of era where things like right. neo was that like neo neo realism era yes. <laughs> of uh, Italian cinema. <laughs> yeah, um, a lot
0: of eight and a half in this for sure. Right. Yeah. But no circus. Uh, not not as much. I was much. missing the circus.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Um, but to answer your question, though, I, I think I can see why people might find that to be superficial, but I also feel like it just it's a matter of how much you take into the story and how much you uh, believe the message and how much you feel it is true to the filmmaker's story and ultimately... I think it is like I think it is a story that 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 feels very resonant to him and 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 I think those influences just kind of add to it. I mean like I said, having the characters be named after uh filmmakers and fil- Italian films is a uh, I mean a little on the nose, but I mean, I think those films aren't quite as uh, apparent in the US, so that that may not even bother most uh, um American viewers, I think. So, I don't know, not something I really minded necessarily, but I can see why that could be uh, an annoying thing for some people
0: you know i think we've been very respectful of spoilers and everything we haven't talked a lot about these side characters there's a bully in here named ercole and they're the parents we've, which we've kind of mentioned who have their own little side story in the movie and i gotta say, i really liked all of that stuff i think that the those characters really added to the film and i think that it's paced really well uh, especially when it sort of brings the parents into it a little bit in ways that i won't uh mention but they get one particular scene that really stands out here i think overall though you know i'm, I'm Privileged enough that I live close to like this downtown area that has like a a gelato place and it has a sort of like sunny atmosphere. It's June, of course. And I want to mention too, this is coming out during Pride Month. So I think that a lot of people are certainly finding this film to be sort of a wholesome representation, even if the allegory is not quite as explicit as some people would hope for. You know, I think all things considered, I think that it, it comes out to be something very helpful and something very beneficial. But all that to say, I have been listening to the soundtrack. I've been listening to the Italian songs on the soundtrack while sort of experiencing like my downtown area. And I feel like I'm experiencing it in a new way. I think this movie, even for adults, kind of provokes a little bit of get outside, you know, and and go experience the world. And, you know, uh, maybe I need to take out my headphones and take my own advice there, take the movie's advice. But I'm having a great time. I'm having a, a sort of a summer sort of rekindling some of that nostalgia as we've sort of painfully said again and again, but it's all there. Criticism-wise, I think there's definitely a lot of things to nitpick, and I don't—I don't love every aspect of this movie. I think that Maya Rudolph—I I, didn't—I didn't love the vocal performance for her here. I think that the relationship between mother and son is really good, but I thought that she had a much stronger, I think, character arc or character presence through the vocal performance in my, Mitchell's versus the machines. I don't know if it's because the films are coming out so close to each other and so I'm comparing them a lot more than I probably would otherwise, but I wasn't the biggest fan of that performance uh, well and I, yeah yeah go ahead
1: <laughs> well i was just gonna say i feel like she's getting kind of typecast in that role like even when i was watching exactly mitchell's versus machine i was kind of just like oh my rudos playing another animated mother it's just like it's just something that that right. like because i was watching it was like it sounds like my Rudolph, but surely like, she couldn't have been cast as another mother in an animated film and then like i briefly looked at my phone and i was just like oh yep <laughs> i guess you know i mean it's a good a good gig's a good gig but i mean you know sure, i, sure. I, I I get that, like I guess she's like, you know, she's a mother herself and animated gigs are probably, you know, she doesn't have to like, she can work locally and, and it's a good paycheck and she doesn't have to like, you know, worry about traveling and things like that with, uh, with, uh, family. But, you know, at the same time, I just kind of feel like it's, uh, squandering your talents to kind of play this type of role over and over and over and over and over, and over again.
0: Right. Like she has a great vocal or she has a great, just performance overall live action performance in the good place and it's such a memorable you know use of her talent so i guess that's why it sticks out to me as compared to i believe both onward and soul had like mother characters that i found a little bit more interesting a little bit more you know, flavorful in their presentation in terms of like, I just think Julie Lewis Dreyfus in particular, you know, I just, I felt like she was her own character. I, and I think even Mitchell's versus the machines, it was the same kind of thing. Like I think the character kind of starts off generic, but then becomes something a little bit more nuanced and kind of fun as, as that movie goes on for sure. But yeah, I mean, those are the nitpicks.
1: That's the one thing I find really fascinating about the film. And I think it's fairly deliberate is that like the stuff in the sea is like the most uh generic or the least interesting stuff in the film. And I think thematically that works because like it's a character kind of, you know, learning to, to go on the surface and have fun, but at the same time it's just like that technically like on the paper should be like the most exotic locale and those are the scenes that just stand out to me the least throughout the film. So I mean like I think it adds to the themes and what the movie's trying to say, but at the same time I just find that to be a kinda of interesting contradiction.
0: Sure. My grade for Luca is an enthusiastic a minus. It's definitely one of my favorites of the year. I think that, you know, it it definitely feels like a B plus movie a lot of the time, but I think what elevates it a little bit more for me is the fact that I can already tell it will be a rewatch upon rewatch for me. I think I love the way this film transported me and I think that You know, Pixar curve aside, they still just know how to really put a lot of work and a lot of time and effort into the writing, the pacing, everything in this just moves. It has such a fanciful whimsy that I just personally find exhilarating as a fan of these films. And I really am glad. I know that they're not getting, you know, the, the film critic stamp of approval like they used to. They still get great reviews, don't get me wrong. But of course, I think that they get judged quite a bit, Pixar. And I just don't want them, on the one hand, to change their creative spirit. But at the same time, I also want them to keep doing what they're doing in terms of going to new places and please, please break out of that formula that I think has served them well for to be certain but I continue to give Pixar a lot of credit myself for movies like this that are attempting for different things getting out of sort of the framework of what's worked for them before I think that was probably my biggest criticism whistle was that it it kind of was going for the abstract world building of Inside Out, of course, through a different lens, and I think that film is still really good, but I certainly found it to be a little bit too derivative in some places of, again, what Pixar has found a lot of energy for, a lot of, you know, the, the meme, you know, what if Italians had feelings? I think I've seen floating around for Luca. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, you know, that's, that's always pretty fun.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was thinking it was just like 2003, what if fish had feelings? 2021. What if Italian fish had feelings is uh, yeah. <laughs> the joke I was going to do. But yeah.
0: Good joke. Good joke. But yeah, I'm an A minus. Th- I think that this film, uh, a must see, you know, I- I'm sure I think that we can agree it puts kids first. And I think it saves itself, though, by sort of being a little bit deeper the more you watch it. And I think that the comedy is really good. I agree with you there, especially. And I just think because it's just such a short, good film, I think that it's worth celebrating. So, A minus for me, what about you?
1: Yeah, I was pretty strong on this one. Not quite as strong as you were, but I definitely think I'm a little bit more favorable than the average critic on this, just because I think on paper I could see how this could seem a little uh, trite or a little uh, annoying by Pixar standards, like if they're sort of playing it safe. But I just think the elements here, when they are presented in the film, tend to work. Uh, uh, In addition to the commie I also wanted to mention there's a uh, cat character that, like another example that I think on paper that that may have been kind of annoying or safe, but, uh, you know, put a mustache on a cat and you got me. So, (laughs) um, I have to agree with you there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think it's really charming, really sweet. Um, I, I, don't think it quite rises to, the excellent standards of other Pixar films which is where I think people are ultimately finding themselves a little bit underwhelmed with this film but I do think as we were mentioning the the inspirations here tend to play for the better as opposed to worse I think having that Miyazaki quality where it is character focused having a kind of more subdued tone allowing the characters to sort of live in their environment and uh, become more enriched by the relationships that they have there as opposed to having something a little bit more Plot focus. I think that is ultimately for the better as opposed to the worse Um, But I do agree with you that I think what keeps me from being a B plus is that ultimately I kind of wish that ending hit me a little bit harder than it did. It is a very sweet uh, final note, but at the same time, I don't think it hit me quite as hard as other past Pixar films, including Onward, which is a, a film I think is worse than this, but I think they, they nailed that ending, and uh, the same with something like Monsters University, as you mentioned, um, I just don't think it hits quite as hard, but at the same time, I, I recognize that they're trying to do something that is a little bit more uh, subdued, a little bit more um, um, refined, I guess, in terms of its approach, and I don't think that's for the worst, so I'd give this one uh, a pretty admirable B. I think it's a good time.
0: All right. Well, that is Luca. You know, we didn't talk too much about how this is not hitting feeders outside of the El Capitan. Which I got a little I got a little heated about that last week, so I guess we can leave it. Uh, it's going to be direct to streaming on yeah. Disney Plus as of this weekend, and I think that it's going to be released in some th- countries theatrically that don't have Disney Plus. I'm not sure which countries those include, but I envy those places because I would absolutely love to see the film there. I know it's, it is playing um, at some theaters in Italy. I want to say and. Okay. I I would if I was in Italy right now, I've always wanted to go, I would check this out in a heartbeat for sure.
1: Sure. Um I do think as you mentioned that at the El Capitan uh this weekend it had like one of the highest um per average, like in terms of like um people per screening uh of the year. I mean I know that's not... Well I
0: imagine it's sold out across the right. I mean it's the only place where you can watch it.
1: Well exactly, yeah. So I think it's it's doing really well in that one location. I don't know if that means it will do well, but I think I'm guessing the decision there was just because kids weren't they can't be really vaccinated at this point. They are. They're slowly being allowed to be vaccinated. So I guess Disney didn't want to push this into the fall when it's such a summer movie. But at the same time, it is annoying that like this and Seoul will likely not play wide in, thia- in theaters because of that. But um, I don't know. At this point, I don't know what can yeah, really mean- do.
0: We haven't really seen a full theatrical run from a Pixar movie since 2019 with Toy Story 4. No, no, no. Onward. Huge success. Um, Onward didn't, I'm saying the full theatrical, Oh, okay. Ex, you know, yeah. it was only out for a week. And then they put it on Disney Plus really soon after that, right? So it's, just, it's a little sad to see because that's three original Pixar films in a row. That's so cool that we got three in a row. I'm, I think it, there was maybe a miscalculation there to release them so close to each other because I think that, the hype and the marketing behind these films is really important. And you can kind of tell that they are releasing these a little bit more frequently. And you can kind of tell a little bit that the production times for these is being cut. It's not quite the same. We're going to spend like really 10 years of getting this right. And I worry about that a little bit. I I'm not surprised because a lot of people say that when Disney bought Pixar, that was right the beginning of the end of Pixar's golden streak. But If you really look into the details, if you look into the financials, Pixar was in trouble in the 2000s. They were taking way too long to make movies and these movies had to keep getting reworked and retooled and it's expensive to do that. And the sequels kind of saved Pixar. Toy Story 3, Incredibles 2, Finding Dory. If not for those films, even Cars 2, I don't think Pixar would still be around. I think the sequels have been sort of a necessary and yet unfortunate development in pixar's progression and evolution as a studio and at the same time i just i really hope that they don't really you know lose a little bit of that edge i think they have over a lot of other studios which is that they put a lot of time into this stuff to get it right because i think if you punched up a few things in onward for example like if you take out sort of that like subplot with the dad's legs and you really like just did a different thing with that altogether. I think Onward would have gone over much better, especially if it had had just a little bit more world building to it, a little bit more of like cleverness and, you know, some of the some of the world building we see in Seoul, in fact. And I think even with Luca, I think that there are some things they could have done with this movie to really just tighten it and really get it up to the next level for more people. But that that's all to say, <laughs> you know, we got the movie that we got. And uh, I certainly... Don't have too many complaints. Luca is just 101 minutes long. And if you're in North America, and if you have Disney Plus, you can check it out right now. All right, let's talk about our next film here. The Sparks Brothers. I really like the tagline for this movie. There's two taglines I like about this. Your favorite band's favorite band. Great. Love that. Um, really speaks to how the Sparks Brothers, you know, Sparks, uh, the band, of course, how they just are not very well known. But then I also really like this one: 50 Years. 25 albums 345 songs unlimited genius i think that captures it pretty well sparks brothers came out uh premiered at sundance it also played at south by and i missed it both times <laughs> i wasn't able to see it but i did get to see it theatrically so i have a little bit of my own sort of uh, addition here i get to talk about uh, i know will you saw it six months ago now actually it's been a while huh
1: uh yeah
0: I, th- I think, uh, how, how is the the documentary sort of, uh, I asked this, you know, about soul earlier too, but <laughs> how has sparks brothers sort of aged for you?
1: I, I still like it. Yeah. I mean, I haven't given it as much thought as I was hoping to, but, um, I don't think my opinion of the film has necessarily gone down.
0: Okay. Yeah. I'm just curious. I, this is a documentary, a music documentary from Edgar Wright's very creative one, uh, especially like in the early goings, you know, doing a lot of stuff with the rock duo themselves, Ron and Russell Mayle whose rock career started out in the 1970s. They used to be part of the band Half Nelson, and then they kind of broke out, did their own thing as Sparks. And uh, I think the whole band was Sparks, too, at one point. But then they eventually, you know, as time went on, it really just became these two brothers. And the Sparks Brothers name is a reference to what their producer wanted them to be called, the Sparks Brothers, as a reference to marks Brothers. Uh, but instead, they just went with Sparks. Cleaner, right? <laughs> but I think this is a an apt title to sort of capture this really remarkable journey. These two men have been on a career that I'll be honest, I did not know much about when it comes to sparks. The only reason I know who sparks is, and I know, I know they are a bit under the radar for a lot of people, but I know for me when I want to say how long ago was this probably five years ago, maybe five or six years ago, I had this really uh, eclectic neighbor who had turned his garage into a record kind of collection studio thing. So we would hang out on the weekends and uh, this is in uh, the Bay Area, of course, but I would go to, I go to his garage and, you know, he would sell me records and stuff. He had a huge collection and he would not shut up about Sparks. I had never really heard of Sparks before. I had heard, you know, songs were familiar-ish. But I had no idea, you know, who these guys were at that point. And he gave me the album. Uh, I think it was uh, the Outer Space one. I forget the, the name of it. And I still have it somewhere. But that's sort of my impression of Sparks is their like 80s era. I didn't even know that they had music in the 70s. I also didn't know that they kept making music in the 90s and the 2000s. So I was really enthralled by this documentary, which really gets into the detail of their career, where they come from, you know, sort of unraveling the mystique around their personas. I think where this movie doesn't totally grab me is the length. It's a bit too long. And I think that it has stretches where it really just feels like we're going through the album synopsis that you'd see on Spotify or Apple Music, but just through a bunch of like random people kind of talking about this is what it was like. And it's, it's a little bit, you know, formulaic there. It just sort of feels like a typical documentary. But what I like about this is that there are times where Wright really adds a lot of flair to the documentary. There's like there's uh, actual like illustrated cartoons and fun recountings and and the stories themselves are really great. And I think it's a it's a very useful documentary in elevating the profile of these two men who probably deserve way more credit. Uh, definitely deserve way more credit than they get. And uh, it's a very very helpful documentary in sort of establishing their influence on other people. I open this with of course like your favorite band's favorite band and there's a lot of how Sparks really and not invented but certainly popularized in a minor way the use of dance pop in the 80s and really like set that so that people heard that and then of course would make the hits that people know. <laughs> and so but I really respect these guys. I really respect their creative talents and just like how they just so focused on the music. No distractions, it seems. We don't get into a lot of their personal lives, you know? Like, there's only, like, a little bit of, like, what, you know, Russell's up to with, like, one romantic entanglement. and But really, these guys, they just have been creating and creating and they're the kind of people who they don't make anything they don't make things to be commercial if things are commercial incidentally that's great with them it makes them money so that they can just keep making the music they want to make and I respect the heck out of that I, I absolutely love that these guys have found their success you know even if though it's not the flashy big success that would tank a lot of other bands as we often see I, I really am happy they exist but, yeah, it's been a while for you, Will. So what did, what do did you think of Sparks Brothers overall? I mean, had, had you heard of them before you watched this documentary?
1: A little bit, yeah. I heard some of their songs. Um, the, the album you were talking about is In Outer Space, I believe. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't familiar enough to ever say I was a fan or that um, I knew enough to, like— even weren't the title of fan I guess but uh, I was I, I had known like some uh, at least a few of their songs going into this and um, I think I've heard some people ask like is that bad like is it like I, I feel like some people are afraid to see this movie if they aren't sparks fans and I think the movie makes it very apparent that like if you're if you're not familiar with sparks this movie is for you to the point where I've heard some sparks fans were kind of annoyed that they kind of go over stuff that seemed kind of obvious to them but I mean you know, as it sounds like for us, like we we had like a pretty mild awareness of the band, so that that I guess played into our favor at least watching it. But um,
0: and I could imagine though, like fans watching this and being like, "I'm really happy that you know sure. they're getting this much attention." I've been trying to tell people about Sparks for years.
1: Well, yeah, that's that's like basically the point is that like I think that's the way that Edgar Wright described it is that like he just wanted to make a movie so he didn't have to give the same spiel to his friends like every day about why they're the best <laughs> band ever,
0: right? This is the guy who made Baby Driver, right? Where he turned his whole iPod into right. a, a soundtrack for people who don't listen to the music that he listens to.
1: Yeah. But, um, I mean, watching the film, I remember like it had a lot of things that in documentaries tends to kind of bug me, for instance, like it's very copiously talking heads for, uh, focus uh it's a lot of like uh you know celebrities as opposed to like uh, collaborators like there are a lot of collaborators here but it does often favor having a lot of celebrities as well which i think is one of the reasons why it's so long is that we have so many people but at the same time i do really appreciate that like like for instance when mike myers shows up it doesn't say like mike myers actor writer comedian It says mike myers canadian uh and yeah, stuff yeah. like <laughs> that which i think is a lot of I like you that. know yeah like stuff like that um also i feel like Having a great like interview himself was a little um, I don't know I just felt like it was a bit much like it just kind of it felt a little uh, self-serving but. I mean, these are kind of minor complaints, really, because ultimately, I, I think the movie itself is just a very warm, passionate celebration of the like inventive spirit and the desire to stay true to one's image, no matter the medium, and just uh, celebrating a band that uh, is able to produce something that that feels very true to them, very singular to their style. But as you're mentioning, was very uh, um, influential in its own way, and maybe not directly as as some people would think, but like. It it was able to, uh, um, influence a sort of caliculture of music while also proving to be uh, unique to the band because they would change their style and look and tones but there was something that was very uniquely sparks about every single one of their albums and uh, I think in that respect yeah I don't necessarily think it warrants the two hour, two and a half hour uh, runtime. time I, I do think it does kind of get a little long in the middle when it's just like and then this happened and then this album came out and then this album came out and then this album came out and it, it does it does have a bit of a repetitive of uh, a feel to to that when you do that over and over again but at the same time I never really felt bored by it uh, and I, I do think Edgar Wright is pretty good about having a lot of fun visual uh, um, uh, transitions and stuff there's a lot of like stop motion and uh, hand-drawn animation as well and and different things that that really makes it stand out and and continue to be very fun and appealing but really at the core though I, I think the movie itself what I think is really, really good at is that it's able to make the lore of Sparks both very tangible, but also uh, still have a uh, undefinable mystique. In that, like you can understand why they're so brilliant and why the creatives are so. Uh, like they're so well liked and beloved in the music genres that they are a part of. But at the same time there is like, you you don't fully understand, like there is still a mystique to their, their backstories and stuff. Like you mentioned, like they, they respect that they have like this sort of like a noble quality to them that, uh, still still feels very true to their style and, and doesn't feel like we're revealing anything that they wouldn't want to be revealed, which I understand for music fans, I think is a little annoying, but I feel like that, that makes it the sort of ultimate Sparks documentary at the same time.
0: Yeah, you know, there were times where I was worried the film was kind of glorifying them a little bit and maybe like overhyping their sort of independent, flavor their their sort of like independent mindset and i'm like okay they, they had to have had some moments right where they did trip up where they did try things that weren't really true to them but then the documentary it does get into that and so i did appreciate that it was willing to at some points like go further into here here were their limitations and here are the ones that were within their control here are the ones that are outside of their control and i think what sets this apart a little bit from other music documentaries and music biopics, right? Is where we don't have that sort of, and this is where like the entire world opened up for them. We don't really have that sort of Cinderella story. And so it was like, very interesting you know it has its own sort of purpose as a documentary that is a little bit more removed from what we typically see right if it's a bruce springsteen documentary it's it's always like the humble beginnings and then you know oh I, you know struggled at first but then this one night changed everything you know we've seen that so many times from documentaries and biopics i think what this film really has on its mind is really showing you that these two guys i mean they're just geeks and like the best ways. Like they're just, they're musical nerds and they get together, they make amazing art that isn't for everyone. And, but most importantly, it's for them and they're making it and they want people to enjoy it. Like they they don't make, you know, any bones about it. I mean, they make things that clearly they're, they're fine with it, never being heard by anyone, but they want to continue doing this. And so they understand that you have to keep making music. You have to keep creating and just that discipline and that sort of no nonsense. I'm doing my passion and I'm not getting distracted. They remark on it throughout the film. I think one of the producers is like, I'd never, you know, I would have given up. I would have, I can't believe that they're still around, but they just sort of have a persistence to them that is really admirable and and really enviable. And the documentary does a really good job of bringing that about. It's a bit of a puff piece, right? You know, it's not exactly an investigative documentary. Yeah. and
1: It's a very softball. documentary it's not they're yeah. not asking hard questions or really diving deep into like their personal struggles at these individual points in their lives but yeah i mean i get that
0: right that's fine and you know it maybe it holds the documentary back a little bit but at the same time i think if you tried to force that sort of thing it would be just as regrettable you know so i don't i don't want to you know cut i want to cut the film a little bit of slack right that said, I, I'm in. I'm into this. I think that's a, it's a very serviceable dock with uh, just a, a bit too long of a runtime. I, I probably would have given it a B plus if it had been a little bit tighter, a little bit more focused, and a little bit less slavish to we gotta really unpack the narrative behind every single album these guys made it's a little much but i'm still i'm a i'm a sparks brothers fan i don't know if i'm a sparks fan i don't love all their music myself but i definitely appreciate and respect them and uh, i like some of their music i think uh, like beat the clock when is it gonna be my way there's some really really good tunes in there for me but uh yeah it's a it's gonna be a b for me b for brothers uh what about you sure
1: yeah, I'm a B as well. Um, ultimately, as you're suggesting, I think it's a very fun, comprehensive documentary in terms of their discography and their uh, iconography as well, just in terms of like how they are able to change and mold their image and sound throughout the decades and time and still, like I said, stay true to who they are but also adapt to the times and uh, become uh, more unique in their own individual, individual ways. But um, at the same time, I do feel like for a band that is... Uh, so idiosyncratic by design. There is something about the presentation of the documentary that, even when it is fairly cheeky and it does some subversive things, especially towards the beginning, I do feel like it's ultimately maybe a little bit more straightforward than this band really deserves. I mean, granted, I do think Edgar Wright really put a stamp on this; like it's not a dry documentary by any means. But I do feel like there there could have been something maybe a little bit more uh, unique to the band itself to to really uh, make it. A documentary that feels like the ultimate sparks documentary but i think it's pretty close i mean certainly I, I think it's a very fun time like even if you aren't super into the band i think you can watch this and enjoy it and at least come away understanding the appeal and why they are so beloved by certain uh subsections of music fans so Yeah, I think it's a fun time. Like I said, I only saw it at home. I don't know what the theatrical experience is like, but I feel like it would be very fun to see this in theaters, uh, certainly more so than maybe some other music documentaries. So, uh, yeah, it's a good time.
0: All right. And critics are liking this. It has a 96% on Rotten Tomatoes based on 95 reviews, a high average rating of 8 out of 10. And I, I, th- I like the consensus here. It says their albums may be cult favorites, but the Edgar Wright directed documentary offers an introduction to the Sparks Brothers that has something for everyone. I think that's pretty appropriate.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you have a movie with both Mike Myers and Beck, I feel like I'm at least going to give it a B minus. So that's <laughs> yeah, just me. and
0: Franz Ferdinand. Sure, there you go. Even Weird Al. I, I, I thought that, you know, Weird Al had made some good points in this movie about how like the the denigration of like comedy bands and how yeah. like, the sparks were they just they they were smart they were satirical but they were sort of like satirical without being over the top about it in a way that maybe Weird Al sort of is but
1: uh, I think Weird Al's a, a pretty smart guy he's another musician I think that I is uh, yeah. you know kind of molded his style and say true to his uh, image and music throughout the years so I think they're pretty comparable but I can understand what you mean yeah,
0: yeah. It's, it's a different approach when uh, both are valid I'll say that but that is the sparks brothers it is 140 minutes long it's currently playing in theaters i don't know when it's going to be available worldwide but it's coming to us from focus features okay so we kind of we're put we're putting this film sort of in the middle of things but you know that's fine um, i don't know if we're going to spend too much time on this one hitman's wife's bodyguard i don't know if it's hitman's wife's bodyguard or the hitman's wife's bodyguard the, the title is not my favorite <laughs>
1: So, if I recall correctly, the first one is called The Hitman's Bodyguard. This one's called Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. Uh, But I keep calling it... Yeah, exactly. Uh, I keep calling it, though, The Hitman's Bodyguard's Wife. (laughs) I keep mixing up the wife and bodyguard part. Yeah,
0: same. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, that's where I always get confused. Yeah.
0: So th- this is an interesting one. So this is a sequel to the 2017 film, The Hitman's Bodyguard. I don't remember if we covered it on Cinema Holic's, but uh, I know you did see it, so you yeah. might have talked about it. I did not see it though.
1: Right. I, yeah. I don't. I don't remember talking about it on the show. But if we saw it in 20, if I saw it in 2017, I probably talked about it on the show at some point. Well, clearly,
0: when the top ten of the year, you had to bring it. Oh, up. Oh, for so. sure.
1: Yeah. It was. It was right up there with the, <laughs> the cream of the crop.
0: <laughs> yeah yeah right 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 yeah yeah there's Killing of a Sacred Deer and Brigsby Bear and then you know the hitman's wife uh there whatever uh so <laughs> this was interesting for me because I watched the sequel without watching the first film uh, fortunately you gave me a perfect like recap where sure. you know you yeah. go ahead and recount it for the list maybe there's some listeners who had seen the first one well
1: sure I mean it's important to know that Samuel Jackson is the hitman uh right. Ryan Reynolds is the bodyguard and Selena oh, Gomez, oh, okay. or sorry, Selena Gomez. Selma Sel- Hayek <laughs> is the be? wife. Oh man, that <laughs> would be a, a way ickier movie. Uh, uh, but yeah, sorry. Selma Hayek is the wife. And that's pretty much all you need to know. Perfect.
0: Perfect. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so this movie also has Frank Grillo, and Antonio Banderas is the villain. I- Morgan Freeman, Tom Hopper, Richard E. Grant is apparently in the first one as well, which I didn't realize.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He actually uh, he has a pretty fun part in the first one.
0: Okay, so the sense that I got from this movie is that and and based on what I've seen, heard from other people, is that Salma Hayek's character has like a scene or two in the first film that kind of stood out as being like momentary, like, oh, maybe this film is not so bad moments.
1: Yeah, I mean, she had like a glorified supporting role in the film, if I recall correctly. Um, yeah, it wasn't she was like kind of like, like, I think like fifth build or something, maybe a little bit higher. But she did like her moments definitely stood out more than most other things in that film, which is a, it. also really a pretty mediocre, forgettable film by and large.
0: Sure. Well, this one is going a little bit farther it's uh it's it's taking her character and expanding that role oh, maybe okay. in a sort of so that's what i'm saying it's like apparently they've p- people liked her enough in the first one where they're like well let's let's really like bring her into the second one make her sure. a bigger part of the movie that's the sense that i'm getting anyway
1: yeah i thought you were saying let's make it more forgettable more mediocre which i think would no, also no. be true uh <laughs>
0: I have to be honest with you. I do not understand the plot of this movie. I don't know if it's because I didn't see the first one. Here are the things I understand. Ryan Reynolds is a bodyguard and there's this like this goofy in world joke of like bodyguards are like this insider club. There's he's like a yeah. rated one.
1: Sort of. It's like a John Wick kind of thing a little bit yeah. where it's like it's like a world where like bodyguards are taken very seriously and stuff. But it's like
0: Which I liked that whole yeah. like, idea.
1: But it's not really like they don't really commit to that bit either in in either films, really. Like, it's just it's just kind of half assed both times. So, like, I think the idea could be fun, funny, but they just don't really do much with it.
0: Well, what I like about it, at least, like with the Tom Hopper character it ends up sort of being a great foil, you know, to Ryan Reynolds, where he feels like the more competent, triple rated bodyguard. And there's a little bit of fun stuff there. Maybe it felt more fun because of the rest of the movie was so flat. Uh, but I did, I did understand that. I got that part of it. I got that he and Samuel Jackson, the hitman, don't like each other, that Telma Hayek, the wife, is... This very, like, insecure, you know, she wants to have a baby, but biologically that's going to be a bit of a challenge. And she has a sort of strained relationship, albeit passionate, with Samuel L. Jackson's hitman. I, I don't know these people's names. I don't understand why they are the way that they are. And I did not understand the plot here where Antonio Banderas, I think, was trying to stop Wi-Fi in Europe so he could blow things up. I don't get it. Um, I really don't get it.
1: Well here's the thing, John, the first movie made more money than the studio anticipated. So they're like, yeah, I get that. Okay. I guess we can make a sequel. Like, well, the first movie, it didn't really like warrant a sequel. It's like, well, you know, what if there was a wife? And it's like, (laughs) yeah, that's that's, that's true. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So there we go. Then that's, that's why we have this now from Lionsgate. It's playing in theaters and it's getting the negative reviews. People are like, this thing is just not funny and it's not, it's just not anything. And I think that's kind of where I'm at with it as well. I just found it to be such a slog to get through. And I wanted to just stop watching it. I was like, I don't care. I I just, the action wasn't very engaging. I did not. I I think they do this whole thing with Ryan Reynolds character where he's on sabbatical, right? So he can't use uh, lethal weapons. You know, he can't use a gun. He can't use a knife. He won't kill people. So they sort of like you know, limit his character. So then he doesn't really do anything. And so I was like, well, what's the point? Like, why is he here? I I don't know. I just, all was really weird to me.
1: Yeah. I mean, one thing I do kind of appreciate about these films is that like, they're designed to ride on the, Charisma and personalities of each star, so it's like, like you're saying, it's not like that their character so much it's just like a Michael or uh, a Samuel Jackson type character, a Ryan Reynolds type character, a Selma Hayek type character. They're just all in a movie and they're all going to yell at each other for like whatever two hours, and it's just like that's yeah, you know, that's a movie. Which I mean, I mean, there is at the same time though, is this really
0: a Ryan? Is this really a Ryan Reynolds thing? Because he's kind of like a more straight laced he's not van wilder you're not deadpool well, in this
1: well that's the thing right It's i feel like when i was watching this film like i didn't really have this issue the first time but i felt like this time it's like i feel like he's kind of miscast in this role uh and it's just because like with ryan reynolds like he's supposed to be like kind of dorky at times like a little geeky but like sheepishly so and he like tries to, like yeah, kind of like the
0: lego movie emmets a little bit sort of
1: right? <laughs> No, I mean, like with Deadpool, it made sense because it's like, like he is very like, geeky and like he has like a lot of pop culture knowledge, but like he's almost sort of like self conscious about, it and he like kind of like riots on his like charisma and his um, you know, his good looks and stuff like that. But there is like sort of like a inherent dorkiness to his like star presence that I think is like part of the appeal. I don't know if that's fair to say or not, but with like this film, it's just kind of just he's just like. I don't really like these people. I'm annoyed by them. I'm just going to make jokes, but like, I'm still tagging along with them. Cause I, I can't do anything else. I'm the star of this film. So it's just like, it doesn't really feel like it's like playing to his strengths either. It just kind of just like, he's just like, just trying to do like a Ryan Reynolds type yeah. thing in a role that doesn't really feel like it, it plays to his strengths. Really.
0: I really feel that towards Samuel L. Jackson, who I think is like, just not present for the, I mean, he is just like, f- I don't want to say phoning it in, but I just don't get the sense that he's passionate about this role or really wants well, to be there.
1: I will say Samuel Jackson, I don't think he ever fully phones it in. Like, I think he commits to a certain degree with every film, but I agree sure. with you that he's just, he's playing the beats with this one. He's just, he's doing what's expected with him. You can kind of tell in his eyes that he's kind of bored by it, but he's not like, I, I don't think he gives a bad performance. I just think that like, he just doesn't really have a lot of emotional investment in this movie working or not. He's like, he's going to get paid. Which is why
0: it's like, if he doesn't have emotional investment, why should I? Exactly. that's that's where I'm at.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's what I feel about, like, Ryan Reynolds as well in this film. Like, the only actor, lead actor, that I feel is actually really committed to this is Selma Hayek, which I I just feel bad for her because it just is like, she doesn't really get a lot of starring roles these days. Like, I'm sure she's making the most of it, but just like, the movie just makes her out to be its, like, broad caricature of a character. And she's just not that fun in that role, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, you know, it was kind of like that in Bliss, right? The Owen Wilson film where, yeah, she just is unfortunately, she's unfortunately doing a good performance in a movie that really lets her down. And uh, yeah, I, I definitely don't definitely don't like that her career has kind of gone down this road where she just sort of gets typecast a little bit. Or in this case, I think she's just sort of like the only person really like bringing something unique and somewhat interesting, I guess. But th- at the same time, it's like her energy level is so high so much that it really loses its impact over time I think at first I'm like oh man she's funny like she's just you know this is like a a nice little like duo kind of thing they got going on here sure I can I can buy this but then yeah as soon as Jackson gets involved and then it's the three of them and she's just like really overdoing it I think to compensate and it's all just unfortunate and My beloved Antonio Banderas, you know, the the lead actor, one of my favorite actors, one of the lead lead actor in my favorite movie. Of course. And here he is, you know, post pain and glory, just like this really boring, uninteresting villain who should be so much sillier and he's trying to make it silly. Right. But instead he's in these like really quick scenes. And I, I don't even know what to say.
1: Uh I'm going to be 100% honest with you. I've seen this movie about like almost 2 weeks ago. I kind of forgot Antonio Banderas was in this movie.
0: <laughs> exactly. I mean, I'm not surprised to be honest
1: yeah. with you. Yeah. But it does have uh, Morgan Freeman, which was kind of surprising.
0: Yeah, I wasn't expecting uh, that. Um
1: Um I I do, I, I, do, I don't huh? know if that's a spoiler, but <laughs> does anyone really care? I mean, honestly. Well,
0: we didn't say who he plays, so I think that sure. would be the spoiler. Sure, that's fair. But yeah, I don't really have anything else to say about this. It's just a loud dumb action movie with the plot that doesn't make sense and characters i just did not care about so i'm uh like a d plus on hitman's wife's bodyguard oh, wow. Maybe more like a c minus
1: all right uh i that's more negative than i expected from you but i don't think that's unwarranted um yeah i mean it's just having seen the first one it's basically a little bit more of the same but just worse uh, I, I didn't really even find the first film to be as charming as some people did, but I could at least understand. Like I, I do think in the first movie, Samuel Jackson and uh, Ryan Reynolds play off each other a little bit better I I do agree with you that I think it's because Samuel Jackson I think it's a little bit more committed to that film than this one where it just has like a it has like a sort of like whole 10 yards vibe to it throughout where like everyone's just like why are we doing this <laughs> like like did anyone really want this like can I just go home like it's a vibe I just kind of get throughout this whole thing like no one's like giving a bad performance but everyone's just kind of this like yeah I guess this is a film we're in like alright thanks for your money alright Bye. And it's just like yeah, like you said, like if if you guys aren't really committed to this, you're not selling the bit, what am I supposed to get out of this? Uh so yeah, I just found it to be not really fun or engaging or entertaining film by and large. So I'm not quite as negative as you are, but I'll give it a low C.
0: right. well that is a C minus ish for me and a C for you. Definitely not one of the ones we recommend this week. Hitman's White's Bodyguard, as we mentioned, is now playing in theaters and it's just hundred and as uh, hundred minutes long. I'll restate that because I tripped. <laughs> it's just a hundred minutes long.
1: Is it only hundred minutes long? Yeah, I legit quick, thought huh? it was. I thought I, I honestly thought it was two hours long
0: a clean hour 40 yeah it doesn't oh, feel wow. like it for sure yeah 25 on Rotten tomatoes out of 125 it's a reviews it's, yeah. uh, so we're sure the trilogy will be capped any second now
1: i i i'll, I'll give the movie a little bit of slack without giving anything away i did think the final joke in the movie was kind of funny but not enough to to salvage the film by any means
0: all, all right, right let's get into our next movie sure. here <laughs> i got nothing for that
1: all right fair all
0: right let's finish out the show with a bit of a departure in more ways than one summer of 85 is a new french belgian film written and directed by francois what have you seen any of his films before i've heard of plenty of films he's done i don't think i've ever really seen an or film i don't think so
1: oh really yeah i actually like the director a good bit unfortunately i haven't seen a lot of his films either but i have seen swimming pool which i like a yeah. good bit um heard i've great also heard things about that movie yeah, I'm a big fan of that film. Um, it would be a good double feature with this one, I think. Um, oh,
0: I did see one of his films, uh, Young and Beautiful.
1: Okay, yeah. Is that one of his earlier ones, or is that from the late... A little later.
0: That's that's from like 2012, 2013, something like
1: was that. Was it? Oh, okay. Maybe I'm thinking of something else then. I did see his most recent film, By the Grace of God, which, uh, good film, but man, that was a tough watch. Um, and this one is definitely- comparatively a lot more lighthearted i will say um, yeah
0: well it has a cure song so it's like any go. any movie with a cure song i mean with in between days in particular yeah.
1: but um i mean in our Luca review we were talking about a film that i feel like is going to get hurt by people making constant call you call me by your name references and i feel like this is a film that might be hurt more by that but would you agree or disagree by that
0: yeah, I've seen a lot of takes, you know, where people are saying this is France's answer to call me by your name. I think one you said it was an insubstantial answer to call me by your name. And then another, you know, people kind of making the, the obvious comparison. For me, France's answer to call me by your name was Portrait of a Lady on Fire, first of all. There you go. S- second of all, yes, I think, and we'll, we'll explain what this movie is about, but I do want to start with this. There is a sort of similar to how like let's let's take Portrait of a Lady on Fire, Ammonite, World to Come, these films that tackle the lesbian experience uh, through a very familiar set of rules to the point where SNL was able to parody that sort of like lesbian period drama. Where it really feels like every year a studio is trying to put out a lesbian period drama to win awards where they cast straight actors to sort of play these characters and do all of that, right? Yeah, no electricity. You know, there were. Uh, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) exactly. The the jokes are like, you know, like there's only 10 words of dialogue, you know, (laughs) like stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Whereas Portrait, I think, is probably the pinnacle of those films, at least in my opinion. We've seen, you know, like Ammonite, I think, was just such a wash. I think uh, summer of yeah. 85
1: was that yeah. deliberate because it's by the ocean side or just in general was a wash, yeah,
0: whatever you want, sure. you could ta- take right. that where really you well. sure there there. I think in the other side of that, the other side of the spectrum where you have cinematic films about gay men, I think that there is a similar sort of thing you could parody where you have two young men. Sometimes there's a bit of, a, there's usually like an age difference. Sometimes it's bigger, sometimes smaller who spend a summer together in a European countryside, uh, sort of, you know, a little bit more modern. And the, one of them is probably by like, that tends to be sort of the thing that happens in a lot of these films. And I don't think that that's to take anything away from call me by your name or summer of 85, or, you know, this sort of like familiar structure we see. And, I'm just gonna say I think it's a little unfair to, to compare this to Call Me by Your Name. It's it's, it's no, a agree. little bit. It's like what we yeah. were saying earlier with Luca. It's like it's like comparing two movies just because they tackle the same subject. It's like mm-hmm. they can, I don't know. The comparisons are not that strong, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I mean, I can definitely see why. Um, not only in terms of like the story, but like visually, they have a kind of similar uh, look and feel to them but uh, especially in terms of like how they use nostalgia and to point even kind of weaponize it. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I I I feel like comparing either film to Call Me By Your Name sort of just cheapens them as opposed to makes it a valid comparison. But I can understand with both films why they are getting those comparisons, I guess.
0: Yeah, it's understandable. I mean, <laughs> I can't deny that. So let's set this thing up. The, uh, as we sort of alluded to, and, uh, yes, the title sort of gives it away. This takes place in the summer of 85, but in France, and I believe Normandy is where it takes place. And it premiered at Cannes last year. The story is that we follow this young man named Alexi, played by Felix Febre. I don't know how to pronounce it. My French, as usual, as the listeners know, is terrible, disgusting. Yeah. Um, but- um,
1: Oh, real quick. Uh, it was supposed to premiere at Cannes, I think, because they didn't have it last year.
0: Yeah, thank you. I missed It, yeah. it was set to yeah. premiere at Cannes. Yeah last year um but of course the pandemic and all of that and then you know i think it played eventually at tiff that year but yeah so this young man alexi he's like 16 years old and he's sort of spending a quiet summer in the french countryside and one day his boat capsizes and he is rescued by this dashing handsome gentleman named david gorman played by benjamin voicine And the two of them strike up a friendship, that friendship eventually becomes something a little bit more. And a lot of this movie is set over narration because Alexei is recounting this, he's a a writer, and he's recounting this story in the aftermath of, as the film gives away at the very, very, very beginning that David has mysteriously died. And Alexei has done something that's related to the death that could get him in a lot of trouble. And sort of the movie is sort of capturing the, the sort of balance between the death and sexuality, identity and coping with grief, which is probably one of the strongest things about this movie and a lot of this film is i say the first half of it is like this very sort of predictable whirlwind summer romance but then the second half of the film becomes something a little bit more unpredictable a little bit more it went in some directions i wasn't expecting and i think that's where the film really finds its footing its uh, sea legs if you will and i i came out of this film liking it not loving it but i think what i like about it is it has a very french new wave sort of sensibility. It's sort of trying to capture probably more the post-French New Wave. I'd say probably closer to, not the time period, but more like the 70s of French independent cinema. Which uh, we didn't mention, we were talking about the Sparks Brothers, but lovely parody of the French New Wave in that film, I want to point out. But no, this, this movie is, like you're saying, it's capturing a nostalgia of that time. It's using a lot of the film techniques of that time as well. There's not a lot of stuff here that's very modern, except for how avant-garde it is about a homosexual relationship between two men in Europe, which is something that I just don't think would have come out in this way back then. But we're sort of seeing what what if we had gotten a movie like this in the 1980s or earlier, and so that's something that I appreciate about it. I don't love it because I think that it's still a little bit too derivative. I think that there, and I think there are parts of it that are just a little bit shaggy in the way where they they really portray this this romance and this misunderstanding in, in sort of a rushed fashion. I think stuff happens in this that does feel a little rushed. Maybe that's intentional. Maybe that's sort of speaking to how life is, and uh, if so I, I sort of understand that to a point, but. What what did you think? Well, I think it seems like critics like this. Uh, some people really hate it. I it had a. I think hmm. Odie Henderson gave it a one star review on RogerEbert.com, and some people are really looking at this and saying it's it's just sort of uh, it, it's like it feels like parody to them of a movie that could be much better.
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I I can't really speak for them per se, but um, I'll be honest. I I actually was quite taken by this film. I can understand. Um, why as you were mentioning it is somewhat derivative of other films lgbt films uh, in this vein and i'm not saying that does anything wholly original with the the premise or the concept but i i think what really stands out to me is how much this film sort of similar to luca is able to be so vibrant and full of life in its presentation i mean for one it looks gorgeous it's um shot on 60 millimeter film and I, I think yeah. that's for the better uh, I, I think just the, how crisp it looks like the way it just like it feels like you're like you're in the sun with these characters throughout right. uh, is great I love the environment of the film like it feels like you're just constantly kind of like immersed in the like sea waves coming through and stuff like that and I did find the relationship at its core to be uh, very rich and lush in its presentation I, I actually the thing you're talking about where you felt it was rushed I feel like that was appropriate because like that's the movie mentioned so it was like it was only six weeks like the movie is supposed to like it, right. it, yeah I mean it feels like it's like a summer long but it's only like a month and a half maybe that these two characters uh, grew so passionate so close to one another and I think the movie is really good about capturing that feeling of when you're like with somebody and it just like the world like sort of stops and then you just like you're with that person and like it just feels like the like there's like this bountyless sort of like love and like exuberance to the world and uh, I think it captures that feeling really well in a very evocative way that like i said not terribly new or something that hasn't been done in several other films in its vein but i think for what it's trying to do it does that very well
0: yeah it does a good job of like making you forget that you know the film opens with us knowing that one of these characters is dead you know it doesn't tell us how it doesn't tell us why but i think that because it's such an escapist romance you forget and then i think where this film really like i said before really just transforms into something a little bit deeper, a little bit more interesting for me at least, is when it it just kind of goes down the aftermath of all of this. And there's, I think, a lovely you know, relationship between Alexi and a character, I won't say who it is, that kind of blossoms in the second half of this movie that I found really touching. And th- there were some things that I was like a little, I was feeling a little cold from, particularly the relationship with his parents. And I think that uh, Alexi's parents. I-, I think there was something there, there was something to be said there about how it felt, a- maybe it is appropriate there too, to, for it to be understated in a way and for it to be a lot about what's unsaid. But I appreciated uh, at least that this movie, it doesn't overstay its welcome. It's a a pretty brisk movie. And I I think that's a good point you bring up about how it does feel a little bit purposeful in the way that it's making this summer romance feel all the more fleeting and abrupt, especially. I forgot to mention too, this is partly based on a novel from 1982 called Dance on My Grave by Aidan Chambers. And I'll just mention one of my favorite musical moments of 2021 will probably be this film's use of Sailing, the Rod Stewart song, which is just so lovely. It's a, It really is like a spellbinding scene that yeah, that's uh, gets evoked there yeah
1: yeah um yeah i mean I, I think because the film is also still fresh for me i i'm probably still kind of uh caught in the glow of it a little bit but um yeah i mean I, I i like i said i think what it's trying to do it does very well as for the parents um i don't know i i was feeling that way until like the last like 20 or 30 minutes when i think it that relationship really sort of crystallized for me and i, th- I think the performances there are good about like establishing a sort of like emotional distance but like a desire to like want to be in their kid's life in a way that, that i think it didn't really click for me earlier in the film but when it got to that point i I thought it was pretty touching and uh and, and well done but um yeah i mean i'm not gonna say that this film is going to do anything that that hasn't been done in several other films either better or worse but uh, at the end of the day I, I think it succeeds in what it's trying to do and it does that well
0: yeah, I think the thing I appreciate about it, too, is that it's not afraid to really showcase the positivity of this relationship. You know, it, it's not doing too much like tragic melodrama and melancholy with these characters. It really is like showing them at their best. And it's eh, there's there's a lot of beauty to it. I yeah. worry that, yeah, some people will watch it and be a little bit like, eh, you know, meh, you know, I, I expect that'll happen for some people. But I, I am kind of trying to figure it out because I'm caught in the glow as well. I just watched this like you did. You know, I, I don't know how people are going to react. I don't know, like which type of people will watch this and get out of it what I think the film wants them to get out of it.
1: Yeah, but I think one thing I do really appreciate about the romance is that it's, it is very clear that it's coming from his written perspective, which is obviously going to be very nostalgic for reasons that become clear early on. But at the same time, it does like you you understand like the like the the earnest, real emotion of the the scene but recognizing that it is like meant to be a little bit skewed, like a little bit um, uh, from his perspective in a way that that that's doesn't always seem fully honest. It like, seems a little heightened at times, but not in a way that makes it feel false or insincere. I think that's a pretty good balance that the film strives.
0: I agree with that. And I think ugh, this film's ending it's not as good as Call Me By Your Name. I know we shouldn't be making all those like easy comparisons or whatever, but this film's ending, ugh, it, that's what pushed it for me, you know. I was a little bit undecided. I was a little bit like, do I really like this movie as much as I do? You know, how are they going to like really stick the landing here? And just, like, the last few minutes of this movie where I really, like, that is, that is character growth. That is a character arc, simple and through. And the thing I didn't love about the movie is there, there's sort of stuff that they kind of weave in, you know, with, like, a teacher. And everything that has to do with, like, Alexi, like, writing the novel and, like, processing his grief through writing and things like that, I think is interesting. But I felt a little half-baked to me.
1: Yeah. Um, how did you feel? It kind of felt like those were the moments that interest the filmmaker the least. Just like they, they might have been almost a little perfunctory in terms of their presentation. I don't think they're ever bad, but just or maybe obligatory.
0: Like, like maybe they were the uh, things that were a little bit like because he's he's done it in other films for as far as I understand, sure. right? And I'm almost like kind of in, inserting this because he feels like he should almost.
1: I guess yeah. I mean I, I just found it to be like it, it is purposeful. Like I don't think it um is without purpose like in terms of like what it's trying to do but i just felt like those moments uh weren't as interesting to Ozan at this point so he just like all right let's get these out of the way and then we'll get back to the romance
0: (laughs) yeah yeah i i I think the pacing though still kind of works like i didn't i didn't feel like when they were kind of cutting back and forth between the flash forward and the flashbacks i thought that all kind of worked out pretty well and yeah i don't have too many complaints besides that i think that yeah this movie is pure eye candy. And I think that when it's at its best, it's really moving and sincere about what its characters are going through, has a really positive message about, you know, kind of, kind of dealing with, You know, kind of similar to Luca, you know, it's like sort of like moving on from a certain chapter in your life, finding the strength to do that. It goes a little bit further in that department for sure. But I think the real spice of this movie is the music, probably. I think that uh, it doesn't have Sufjan Stevens, but yeah, it, it does have... Just like really, really solid needle drops. Doesn't overuse them. <laughs> and uh, it, it definitely has a club scene in here that uh, I personally am obsessed with. So for that reason, uh, I'm I'm definitely a lighthearted fan of this one. I'm going to give it a B.
1: All right. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, as best, this movie did kind of remind me of what I love about films from the filmmakers like Xavier Dolan or Pedro Almodovar, where it just, it, it captures like that very, Uh, Vivid point in someone's uh, lives where like there's this sort of like open-endedness in terms of like their youth or like like they they refine some sense of their uh, personality that this kind of comes alive thanks to another person and uh, I think at its best that the movie really captures that feel and what I love about movies from those filmmakers and uh, I mean I can't fully compare it to other Ozon films but um, I, I do really appreciate how he presents like sensuality and like how characters can like feel so intertwined with one another while not fully knowing one another. And like that, that's that sort of like almost like voyeurism at times. I think he's really good uh, at capturing that feeling in his film, especially in like the first half of this film. Um Yeah, I just, I think it's, it's a, a good solid little film uh, and I'll give it a light, but pretty warm B plus.
0: All right. Well, some solid recommendations from the two of us. I definitely think it's worth checking out myself and it is now playing in north america i think it's playing theatrically at the moment it might, might be available in some virtual cinemas i'm not sure but i know it's going to be released in france next month uh july 4th oh no sorry it was released in france uh last year um uh, yeah. it uh it came out last july so we're, we're getting in a bit late but uh you know better late than ever yeah and it is just a hundred minutes long, another a hundred minute long film. That is the, uh, the theme of, uh, this week, it seems.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it does, uh, it, it is feel appropriate to bookend, uh, Luca with this film. I feel like in many ways, uh, right. Yeah. I kind of yeah. did that on purpose a
0: little bit. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. That'll do it for our show. Thanks as always for listening to cinema holics and we'll be back next week. I actually, oh, man, what is coming out next week? Fast and furious nine. Right. And uh, I forget. Yeah, what fine.
1: I was. Um, Oh, there's something on Netflix. I think there's always something on Netflix. I guess. Why well, don't know? What yeah, I'm I was gonna about. say it's like uh, <laughs> you have to be a
0: little bit more specific. Um, oh, um, yeah. actually,
1: no, it's not on uh, Netflix. I was thinking, I was thinking of the Hulu film, um, the Alana Glazer Gr- uh, film. False positive. Yeah, false positive. That's coming yeah, out. Yeah, that's think. right. I'm curious about that one. I want to check that one out. Um, I also want to check
0: else. that out. Yeah.
1: I don't know what else is coming out besides that. But is those Zola are next
0: ones. week or is that the week after?
1: No, I think that's the 30th of June.
0: Okay, so we got yeah a little extra time
1: there. Yeah, it's another week. Um, but uh, those two definitely are on my radar. I don't know what else is coming out.
0: Yeah, I'm thinking about rewatching Zola. You know, there's a screening in San Francisco. Might check it out. Uh, we didn't we didn't talk about Rita Moreno, just a girl who decided to go for it. Uh, or Fatherhood, new Netflix movie. Uh, mm-hmm. Kind of forgot to bring those two up, but uh, personally, I just didn't have an interest in either. Not sure if I'll get to them, but I think for sure we'll be talking about F9 and False Positive next week. If you want us to also catch one of one or both of those films and fit them in as well, let us know. Send us an email if you have any anything you want us to cover on the show, we'll be glad to accommodate. But all right, signing off from the Internet, California, I'm John Agroni.
1: And for Internet Pennsylvania, I'm Will Ashton.
0: See you next time.